Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Today is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Hey, I didn't know that I was starting a series, but two weeks ago I started talking about community. I just had one message that the Lord put in my heart about community, and, uh, and I'm telling you, He keeps stirring my heart about be community, be community. Community is not something you just do. Community is something that you are. Community is not just something that you're associated with. Community is something that you are. You know what defines community? That we have a shared mission. We have a shared mission, and if you haven't seen it, we have right here. It's going to be ongoing. We have in this, these cards right in front of you. It will be here every single week. Our mission is that people, say it with me, people encounter God, walk in freedom, and live out their destiny in Christ Jesus. Come on, you should at least know what the shared mission is. Ready? That people encounter God, walk in freedom, and live out their destiny in Christ Jesus. What's our culture? Our culture is we have a culture of love. We have a culture of presence. We have a culture of humility, and we have a culture of all in. We're all together in this. Somebody say amen. amen. How long are you going to keep, keep preaching culture? Until we're one. Amen. Until we're one. Do you know Jesus, one of the things Jesus prayed in John 17, this was right before he left, he said, Father, I pray that they may be one just as you or me are one. Why? Because when you're one, when you work together, that's where the presence of the Lord, that's where the blessing of the Lord is on. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing the enemy's going to fight against, he's going to fight with disunity. He's going to cause division. What's division? It's divided vision. And where there's, no, where, there's no, uh, where there's not a unified vision, there's no provision. If you have a divided house, you won't have provision in that house. If you have a divided family, if you have a divided business, you won't have the blessing of God and provision on that. So what do you need? The house of God needs to have unity, not, not a divided vision. We read last week in the book of Genesis that they all had one uh, tongue, one speech, one heart. And what did, they were doing something that was selfish and the Lord actually had to divide them. So what did he do? He came and changed up their language. And when they started speaking different things, what happened? They couldn't get their work done and they divided up all over, over the whole earth. So even the Lord knows how to divide vision, right? But the enemy knows how to divide vision as well. And so one of the things we need to do is we need to have the same heart. We need to have the same vision. It's not that this is the only thing we do. I know that we, everybody has a life outside of church. But if the Lord has called you to be a part of Memphis Tabernacle, not just part of a family, not just an association, but a part of a community that we have a shared vision. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus, for that? So what do we do? Well, our big four is that we have Sunday mornings. Get everything you can do to come on Sunday mornings, Tuesday night. We have, we have uh, small groups. If you can jump into a small group, we would love that. Every one of us are in small groups. We're in small groups. Uh, and we do outreach. We had an outreach event last week, but we have several times a year. So we want you to jump in. What are your big four? It's come and invite others. Uh, find a small group. Discover your gifts and serve others. Why? To build a big church? No. To be the body of Christ that he's called us to be. To be in, in family. You know, I can tell you that during this uh, COVID time, I believe that so many people have gotten isolated and off to themselves. And the enemies tried to divide people and make people alone. If you could uh, just turn my mic down just a little bit, I can yell more. I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, if you haven't listened to uh, number one or number two of this, if you'd go onto YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, and just listen to those, it'll help us to get on the same page and in unity together. Also, again, I want to mention to make plans, if you can, to be at the revival in two weeks. It's going to be a special time. Hey, today, uh, the title of my message is Wash Their What? Wash their what? You know, because I think sometimes, I'm going to talk about feet for a minute. I'm going to talk about feet for a minute. Do you know some people in life, have you ever noticed some people just have really good feet? You ever notice that? Like you look down at their toes and you look, I know some people are looking, looking around at feet and, you know, some people just have really good feet. It's like when they were born, they had good feet. And they, they, it's like, do you say, did you get a manicure? No, they've always just been that way. Do you know one of those people was not my dad? My dad did not have really good feet. My dad had, sorry, dad, you're in heaven right now. <laughs> you think my dad can hear me when I'm saying this? I don't know, but I'm going to say it. My dad had nasty feet, okay? I mean, he had feet. They didn't smell, but they just looked, I mean, they were something that you, they, you know how the Bible talks about unpresentable body parts? <laughs> that was one of my dad's unpresentable body parts. It was just something where, you know, we never, I never bought my dad a pair of flip-flops. You know, never bought my dad a pair of sandals. Why? It just wouldn't be good for everybody else, right? Just wasn't good. And, and you know, my dad, I mean, he'd take off his shoes and I'd go, oh, I mean, I was, I mean, I'd seen him for years, but every time I was still surprised, oh, you know, I'd almost back up, oh. And then he'd say, hey, uh, uh, could you rub my feet? I said, dad, <laughs> dad, I'm going to go get the garden gloves on. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I remember one time, uh, one time we had, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and we used to have foot washing uh, ceremonies. Anybody ever heard of that foot washing? I was telling, I was telling my son Miles about this foot washing. He said, foot washing? What is that? That sounds weird. It was weird. Yeah. But, but a foot washing time was when I was a kid and they'd line up people and they'd say, say, tonight we're going to have foot washing, right? That's when you go home, make sure toes are all clipped and toenails are all clipped and you're all cleaned up and everything. And they'd have the foot washing. And I remember as a little kid going and they'd have a whole line of chairs and people would sit down and then some people would come and they'd wash their feet and they're just praying for one another and loving one another in foot washing. But I remember my fear wasn't what people would think about me. It was, oh man, is dad coming? Because <laughs> I think they're going to pull off his shoes and someone's going to go, how did I get so lucky today? <laughs> the Lord must want to humble me today. But I remember we go to those foot washing things. You know, some people have good feet and other people are not so much. Jesus talked about feet. Jesus talked about feet, and the Bible talks about feet. You know, one of the things he says is how lovely, Jesus didn't say this, but in the Old Testament it says, how lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. What is he saying? He's saying, the feet that will follow the Lord and will go and, and tell people about Jesus, they have beautiful feet, right? The Bible talks about feet running to evil. Those aren't good feet, right? They were like my dad's feet, okay, though my dad didn't run evil, but I mean, they weren't good feet. Uh, you know, uh, it says in the book of Ephesians that when we put on the whole armor of God, one of the pieces of armor is to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is he saying? He's saying, make sure that your life is all about propagating the gospel. Make sure that your life is not about just setting up your business or your family business or making things good so that long-term you can, listen, can I tell you, I don't think we're going to be here long-term. I really do believe Jesus is coming soon. 
I really do believe that at some point the Lord's coming back and, and, and there's treasures we lay up on earth. I'm not saying that we shouldn't lay up treasures on earth and take care of things, but the Bible says, don't make that your focus. Right? Make sure that you're thinking about the future and the gospel. The only thing we can take to us, uh, take with us to heaven is people, is the hearts and souls of people. So he said, put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. Make sure that your feet are walking in those things. There's something about feet. And I'm going to talk about feet today. I'm going to wash a couple of people's feet today. Don't worry if I didn't tell you, I'm not going to wash your feet so you don't have to walk out of here. But, um, but I do want to talk about servant leadership. Servant leadership. They seem to be polar opposite servant and leadership. One is, seems like to be the head or in charge and one seems to be like behind, right? But servant leadership. God, I remember, changed my life at an early age, at a young age when I was a teenager. I gave my life to the Lord. I, I doubted whether there was a God and God made himself real to me. And I remember when I was in my late teens, I came and I just told the Lord, Lord, I'll do anything for you in life. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'll do anything for you. And I went to my pastor and I just said, hey, I want to serve the Lord. I feel like I'm called to ministry. I know everybody's called to ministry, but I just feel like I'm really, like I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to give my life to it. I don't really care about anything else in life. I just want to serve God. God's been so good to me. He's made himself so real to me. I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. And he said, okay, I got a ministry position for you. You're going to clean bathrooms. And I said, okay, well, uh, what well, wasn't quite the ministry I was thinking about, but okay. So, uh, so I did it, did it for years, cleaned out. I can tell you I'm a good toilet cleaner. I'm proud of it. I'm a good toilet cleaner. I'll come clean your toilet if you need me to come clean your toilet. I'm a good toilet cleaner, right? I can clean floors. I can clean bathrooms. I can vacuum. I can clean. I can wash. Tiffany knows I clean. I organize, right? Where did I learn that? I learned it in the house of the Lord. I just came and did, didn't get paid for it, just came and did it, worked another job and came and served and loved the Lord and did it. And then, and then uh, I got upgraded. I said, I want you to come uh, before church days, which was a couple of days a week, and I want you to come and show up at 5.30 in the morning. 5.30, I told you I was a late teenager. 5.30 in the morning was like ungodly, right, for me. But I'd wake up, I'd come at 5.30 in the morning, and I'd come and pick up all the trash. Now, my pastor was a pastor <laughs> growing up. He was a pastor that was kind of eccentric, okay? He wasn't, he wasn't like a normal guy. Like, he was like a guy that you'd think like, whoa, where is he coming from, right? Like, when he said pick up the trash around the, uh, it was pick up the trash around the church, and we were kind of in a, not inner city, but we were in like a, not hood, but close between neighborhood and hood. It was kind of like, like neighborhood, something in there. Okay. It was right in between. And, uh, and so we'd pick up the trash around the church, but we'd also, he'd say, but I want you to pick up the trash a block that way, a block that way, all four directions of the church. So we'd pick up the, because anyone who was driving in, we wanted to make sure that they came in and had a peaceful experience. Now I looked at that and I thought, I don't get it. That doesn't make, it doesn't sound like ministry to me. But I told the Lord I wanted to serve the Lord, and that's what my pastor wanted me to do. So I did. I did it for years. And he said, I want you to blow it off. So I'd blow it off. And then sometimes there'd be graffiti out there. And he said, I want you to go cover up the graffiti. And I said, there's no graffiti on our property. No, but there is on their property. I said, I'm not supposed to paint their property. I don't care. Go, go take care of it. Make sure. So we'd take care of all the graffiti in the neighborhood. We'd take care of all the trash in the neighborhood. And we lived in a place where there's prostitution right around the corner. So I picked up some, some stuff, Okay. I mean, I picked up some stuff teenagers aren't supposed to see unless they're in the world, okay? But I'd pick up the, 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 the stuff. I'll just stop right there, okay? And then, uh, I got you, babe. I got you. You just stared there. 
pick up, I'd pick up that, I'd pick up diapers, I'd pick up, I mean, we'd fill up two bags of trash. And then I got upgraded and I was able to hose off, right? I'd take the hose at five something in the morning, uh, six o'clock in the morning, probably after we, we'd, and I'd hose off all the property. It'd take me about an hour. I'd get home, it would get done. I had to finish by 6.30, 6.45. So I, at that time I'd run home and I'd have to dress. We always dressed in a coat and tie, like a suit. And I dressed in a suit and tie because I was involved in, in ministry and in music and those things. So I'd have to come back and get there on time for the practice, worship practice, and make sure and I'm whew, coming back in. I got I'd have to get all the songs down and ready. I played organ, like pipe organ, you know, type thing for, for 11 years and that. And, um, and I'd worship and love the Lord, and then I'd do that. And then I'd, right afterwards, I worked a waiter. I was a waiter. So right afterwards, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd jump out. I'd put on my apron, put on all that stuff, and I'd get it all going right afterwards, and I'd run, and I'd go right to work. And I'd work until 11 o'clock that night, and then I'd get up, and I'd have to go leave for school at 730 in the morning. The next morning, that's just how day after day after day. But I wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to be a ministry. It didn't sound like ministry to me. It sounded ridiculous. It sounded like slavery. It really did. It sounded like something like, are you kidding me? But I'll tell you, I didn't do it for the pastor. I didn't do it for the church. I did it for the Lord. And I knew the Lord wanted me to be there. I'm just telling you my story. Okay, I'm just telling you my story. Um, it was servant leadership. I didn't realize, though, that it, when I read in the Bible, if you look back at the Hebrew word minister, the word minister and the word serve is actually the same word. To minister and to serve, they're actually used interchangeably. In fact, if you look at the, the if you look at just what it means, they'll say sometimes serve and then sometimes they'll say minister. And I thought, I thought minister meant like, like something else, okay? Then I got married. And I thought marriage was something that was supposed to be, uh, this is good, baby. Uh, I thought marriage was, was something that was just going to be like, this is fun. We get to date, but we can go home and sleep with one another too. We can go have a good time. I don't have to take her home. We can have a great time. She cooks me meals. We have a good time. We just have fun. And what I realized, what I realized was Tiffany and me were married, but, but merit, not only was ministry serving, marriage was serving. Her serving, me serving, us both serving. Right? And she's an each. Tiffany's an easy wife to be married to, but it was still serving and it stretched me and I'm sure it stretched you, right? But it was serving to have a good marriage. <laughs> Don't be not too big of an amen right there, but, <laughs> but I'm sure that it's stretching. How many of you who've been married for a little while know that marriage, a good marriage means serving? Yeah. And then we had a baby. And I thought, well, this is going to be good. I can bounce them on my lap. We can have a good time. We have a baby. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I could be a dad. And I could teach him how to play sports and teach him how to do this and teach him how to do that. And what I didn't realize, see, I thought cleaning toilets was hard. Ha! I had never changed a diaper before that. Man, I changed so many diapers. I'm like, how can he, how can he, how can he fill up this many diapers? My goodness, and I remember at one time we had our kids, our three boys, so close together that they had, there was three sizes of diapers that were changing, and I'm like, put the wrong size on this one, and then I'd say, do I take it off? We don't have a lot of money, so I don't want to waste the diaper. <laughs> so I'm like, how do I read? Do I go get some tape? Like, what do I do with the diaper? And then Timmy's like, oh, get in here. She's working. I'm working. I'm in ministry. I'm going to school, and we're trying to, and I, I just realized this whole thing of ministry and life is not getting easier. I thought growing up was, I, mean, I found myself wanting to be 10 again, yeah. <laughs> right? right? People always want to grow up. 
I found myself saying, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. No, I, I just thought, I don't want to grow up. I want to go back. I realized that being a good father is serving. Being a good husband is serving. Being a good leader is serving. Being a good whatever you are, it's serving. The better you get at serving, the better you get. Servant leadership, servant leadership. I want to look in, uh, wash their what? I want to look in uh, uh, the book of Philippians chapter 2. Leading is serving. Jesus, the son of man, he said, did not come to to be served, but to serve. People would come and say, let's set you up a kingdom. Let's have it to where we're all following you and this will be the new kingdom. He said, you don't understand. I didn't come to lead right now. I came to serve. And I want you to look in Philippians chapter two, verse four. It says, don't look only out for your own interests. He's talking to the church, but take an interest in others. I think we can all understand what that means. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look in verse 6. It says that though he was God, he did not think it equality. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in the human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. What does he say? He said, don't. Don't just look out for yourself, for the American dream, for that you can uh, have enough money to retire and take vacations and raise your kids that way and you can all just have a great time in life. That is a life that can lead to some type of self-fulfillment. But I believe it's the reason why so many people are lonely because they give their lives for themselves. They spend their lives for themselves and then they say, no, it's not, it's me and my family. And they don't realize that there's so many other people who are lost out there. And Jesus came. And he says, don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. I want you to notice that it says in this verse, Jesus was all God. But he humbled himself as a man. He took a step down, like a demotion here. And then he took himself and said, I'm not just going to be a man. I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be God. Now, he stayed God. But I'm not going to, I'm going to come and and, and empty myself and become a man, all, all man. He wasn't like a superhero man. He was man. He operated as man. He was tempted as man. He had the same things. The Bible says that he suffered with those things just like we are so that he could understand where we're coming from. But not only did he become a man and say, but at least I'm going to be the top dog man. No, he said, I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be the lowest of the man category, so to speak. Jesus, all God, became all man. He humbled himself and became a slave. A slave is basically a servant that has no rights. Jesus didn't do anything on earth because he wanted to do it. He did it on earth because he said, he said, I do nothing unless I hear my father do it. I don't say things unless I hear my father say it. It's not that his heart didn't want to do it. In fact, do you remember where he said, not my will, but your will be done? And he said, and if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Why? Because Jesus really was a man who had to submit himself to the will of God. It was the biggest demotion in history. God to man to slave. 
But what happened? Well, Jesus was anointed. I want you to look in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I want you to notice, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It didn't say Jesus Christ, it said Jesus of Nazareth. He anointed the man, and the anointing on him, he became Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed one, right? He was anointed to do everything that he did. But he anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? Well, to anoint just means to pour on or to rub on. If I, this morning, you know, I had some dry knuckles, I had some dry elbows, I, I was ashy, as some people would say, okay, so I, I, take, I took my lotion and I rubbed it in, not my body wash, by the way, if you heard that story. <laughs> I'll tell you that story another time if you don't know it. But I took that and I rubbed it in. I, what was I doing? I was anointing myself. I was anointing myself. When the Bible says that God anointed Jesus Christ, what, or Jesus of Nazareth, what was he doing? He was, he was anointed, he was poured on, rubbed in with the Holy Spirit and with power. Notice there's a distinction between the two, but they do cooperate, right? Because Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So they're distinct, but they're together, right? So he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. But I want you to notice what he was anointed to do. We're not just anointed, like I'll say, to get a Holy Ghost goosebump or to, or to get a good feeling, like, oh, I got a good feeling at church. I like that church. Yeah, I felt, I felt the Holy Ghost today. I felt the Holy Spirit today. Yeah, I felt really, really good. Well, that's not what the anointing's for. Now, that is a great benefit, is being able to feel God. Feel God. But we don't serve God because we can feel God. He said he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Can you just keep that scripture up, if you don't mind? He says, with the Holy Spirit and power, notice this, who went about and he did two things, doing good, somebody say doing good, and healing. Somebody say doing good and healing. They were two different things, but they operated together. Just keep that scripture up if you could. He went about doing, did you know that he was anointed to do good? Sometimes we don't think we have to be anointed to do good. We just have to be anointed to operate in the supernatural. But I want you to notice, he operated supernaturally to do good. What kind of good? I don't know. It doesn't say. I know there's all kind of good ones. Jesus was a carpenter. You think he was anointed maybe to build someone, build someone a doghouse? I don't know. <laughs> to help someone with something, to help an old lady across the street or to help this or that. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I think he was on the lookout for people. And he had a, a sensitivity and an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do good to people. Not just to do good to people on the platform or in church or when he was in the synagogue. No, to do good every day of his life. He was anointed to do good and he was anointed to heal all those who were oppressed by the devil. By the way, I want you to notice, he didn't just say he was anointed to deliver those who were oppressed. Because when you're oppressed by the devil, oppressed means to be under the control of or the dominion of. And whenever you're oppressed or whenever you have some type of traumatic experience, that's where we get like PTSD or something, you've had a traumatic experience in your life, even though you can be released from that traumatic experience, now there's post-trauma that happens. But I want you to notice Jesus said he was anointed to do good and to heal people from post-trauma. And to heal people who had been oppressed by the devil, who had been held down, who had been underneath. Do you know that not only was Jesus uh, anointed for that, he's still anointed for that today? And do you know that you're anointed for that today? Why? Because where are we? We're in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus, okay? So, but he says, God anointed Jesus to do good and to heal all those who are oppressed of the devil. Well, it says in the book of Galatians, 
How does that apply to me? Well, it says in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, I want you to read this out loud. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, say it with me again, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us do what? Well, wait a minute. Is that really ministry? So I thought ministry was just laying hands on the sick. I thought ministry was just telling someone about Jesus. No, you can minister by doing good to people. And who are we supposed to do good to? Let us do good to all. So who are you supposed to do good to? Is that your neighbor? Is that that family member who you didn't like? Drunk Uncle Murray? Yeah. Yeah, everyone. But notice what he says, especially... He points out somebody, especially those who are of the household of faith. See, love and doing good begins at home. Especially those who are of the household of faith. I think sometimes it's easier to do good outside the church. It's easier to say, well, my ministry is not you. You really don't need it. No, notice the, Jesus didn't say, I didn't come and I'm overlooking all of you. He, he like took care of his disciples for three years, right? The, the time he was here. But he'd also do good to people outside. He'd say, you give them something to eat, right? He'd think about them. He's doing good. He's loving them. But notice he says that we ought to do good as much as we have opportunity, especially to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want you to notice when he says all, you can't pick and choose who you do good to. Do you ever find some people are easier to do good to than others? Some people, well, they're ungrateful. I ain't doing good to them. Has that ever happened to you? I've said it. I've done it. I think it. But is that the spirit or is that the flesh? Yeah, that's that's my flesh. That's my soul. That's something else. Wanting to react instead of wanting to act and walk in love and pour out the love of God through me to other people. Notice, do good to all. You can't be selective. He says, but especially in the household, especially in the house. Sometimes it's easier outside the house. You have to deal sometimes in the house with family issues. I know sometimes people want to get outside the house. I don't want to have to deal with my spouse. I don't want to have to deal with my family. I don't have to deal with, they're unreasonable. They're not even, they're not even living right. They're not even thinking right. They're so dang selfish. I want to go outside. No, he says, especially in the house. I don't want to deal with the church. You know, I've been hurt by the church. Well, welcome to the club. We've all been hurt by the church at some point. But it's not the church corporation. It's people. It's people. You've been hurt by people. You've been hurt by people. Can I tell you what to do? Forgive them and then start doing good to them. Let the Lord release you. Why? Because not only are they going to, the church is going to miss something by you not walking in step with them, but you're going to miss out on the blessing and the joy of it as well. You have to deal with family issues. You know, wow, that's so humbling. If I serve them, then they won't respect me anymore. They're already prideful. They'll think they're above me. What do I got to go do? I'm not going to go do something and lower myself underneath them. They should be lowering themselves. Someone want to be served, not humble, not going to give in. People outside sometimes need it more, they think. Doing good starts with those closest to you. I said, doing good starts with those closest to you. You can serve others, but how do you serve your spouse? You can serve others, but how do you serve your family? How do you serve the people who treat you like crud? I need some anointing to do that. (laughs) I need some anointing to love them. 
Amen? Well, God's got it. Household of faith. You may have a ministry that's on the outside of this ministry. You may have a ministry outside of this ministry, and that's a valid ministry that God's called you to. But let me ask you, how are you doing with your ministry that he's called you to in this local church? Especially those who are in the household. There's something about the house. There's something about the local church that I believe God's called us to run together. I don't say that with any condemnation. I say that with joy and blessing because I believe it's the heart of the Lord. He says uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another with acts of love and good works and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Some people don't think it's important to get together anymore. He says, don't neglect meeting together. He says, but encourage one another, especially now the, the, the day you're drawing near. In other words, don't just come in to warm a pew. Come in to encourage somebody. Come, don't just come in to get fed, though I believe you should get fed. But don't just come in to get fed. Come in to feed. Don't come in to just to be encouraged. Come in to encourage. Don't just come in to be loved. Come in to love. I don't really need a small group. I have my, my life full. Don't just join a small group because you have a need. Join a small group because someone else needs you. Someone needs your smile. Someone needs your encouragement. Someone needs your touch. Someone needs your help. It's not one or the other. It's do good to all, but especially those who are in the house. Sometimes it's easier to love someone outside of the house, but love in the house and love out on the street. We're called to both. Now, I want to point out an example of the, the disciples. The disciples, do you know, some people say, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. Because if I could have walked with Jesus, I would have understood true love. Do you know that those jokers, the disciples, they postured themselves for, for position all the time? They fought with one another as to who was the best all the time. I'm just going to show you a couple of examples. Because you think everything would be different if I walk with Jesus. No, it wouldn't. Watch this. Uh, if you look in, uh, I'm just going to read these to you. Look in Luke chapter 9, verse 46. It says, his disciples started arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> Could you imagine? Isn't that like what little kids do? Hey, man, I'm the goat. I'm the goat, greatest of all time, right? I'm, I'm the best. I'm the best. They started arguing. No, I'm better. Jesus likes me better. He sat by me at lunch. Yeah. Right? He, they started arguing which one was the greatest, and Jesus knew their thoughts, and he brought a little child by his side. And Jesus said, anyone who welcomes this little child like this welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is least, read this with me, whoever is least among these is the greatest. See, they were in ministry, but they were posturing themselves for position. They thought that that's what ministry was, was whoever got to lead, whoever got to be on top. That's the best minister. That's just what they thought. They looked at Jesus and they thought, man, if I could just be like him, if the crowds would follow me like him, if I could be close to him, then I'm going to posture myself for, for position. And Jesus said, you want to know the one who's greatest in the kingdom? It's the little child. You know what he said? He said, kids ministry is number one. You want to know the best ministry to be involved in? Kids ministry. Why? Because you don't get any notoriety. Nobody even sees you. You're just loving babies. And babies aren't going to call you that week and tell you what a good job you did. Making a difference. Again, later on, you know, I thought this was in a different book, but later on, the same disciples, you'd think that they would have learned that they thought, oh, Jesus put us under up when we were arguing about that. So look at it again in Luke chapter 22. It says, they started arguing again among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. <laughs> Can you believe they argued about this? And did you, did you think they knew that it was going to be written up in the Bible? <laughs> oh, man, shoot. <laughs> Aren't you glad everything in your life doesn't get written up in the Bible? <laughs> I don't think you'd want to be a disciple. Okay. 
He says they started arguing which one would be the greatest, and Jesus told them, in this world, he said, the kings and great men lord over the people. He said, and yet they are called friends of the people. They're called friends of the people, but they lord over the people. Oh, look at the, that, that, that government official, that person that's over me. They're friends of the people. No, they're being lords over the people. He said, but among you, it will be different. Somebody say it'll be different. Those who are greatest, notice this, among you should take the lowest rank. If you want to be the greatest, you should take the lowest rank. Sign up for the lowest position. Ask, hey, when you see signups of what's available, find out what's, what's the worst position. No, I believe that's what Jesus meant. What's the one no one, I think it's a good question to ask, what's the one no one wants to do? That's the one I'll do. What's the one no one's signing up for? That's what I want to do. If no one else is doing that, I want to do it. What's the one that's not seen? That's the one I want to do. Look, look at what he says. He says, the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like the servant. He said, who is more important, the one who sits at the table of him who serves, or the one who sits at the table? Of course, he said, but not here. He said, in the kingdom, it's not the, not the, the food server. Or the server, that's the, the biggest. It's, it's not the, or excuse me, it's not the person sitting down being served that's the most important. It's the server that's the most important. He said, that's just how it is in the kingdom. He said, for I'm among you as one who serves. He's saying, basically, I'm the greatest one among you. And guess what I'm doing? I'm putting up with y'all. See, he was from the south. No, I'm kidding. They were arguing about titles and positions. And what did Jesus say? He said, the rules of my house are the greatest people are the ones who serve. The most important aren't the people being served, but the ones who serve. Uh, they argued about positions of authority. Positions of authority. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says that James and John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over uh, and spoke to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do this. We want you to do us a favor. Could you imagine going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, could you, could you do me a favor? And they say, what? And he says, you know, when you ascend and you're like forever and eternity, can I sit at your right hand and my brother sit at your left hand? Because we're, we're boys, right? We're in. Like we, we know each other, right? right? Could you imagine asking Jesus for the favor? And can you imagine that favor being written up in the Bible? <laughs> like, oh, I asked the wrong. Have you ever asked a question and you thought, wrong question? I just shouldn't. I'm sure right after they asked it, they looked at Jesus and thought, okay, wrong question. I shouldn't. Could I sit at your right hand and could I sit at your left in places of honor? He said, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and one at your left. But Jesus said to them, <laughs> what's funny is in another place, I, I, I'll just mention this, I won't read it. In another place, they actually, these two sent their mom to ask Jesus the question. <laughs> they said, mom, this guy ain't giving us the right answer. Could you go ask him in eternity? Can we sit at the right and left? We really want to sit at the right and left. We know it's going to be a big deal. Jesus, my two sons want this. And he's like, are you kidding me? See, that's the disciples. But here, here was Jesus' response back to them. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup of bitter suffering? What are you saying? He's saying, you think you want a leadership position, but there's a lot of bitter suffering that you're going to have to deal with. Le leadership is lonely a lot of times. Leadership has to put up, leadership, one person said, is bleedership. It's painful. And Jesus said, I don't know if you can endure this bitter suffering. 
He said, and, the, and have the baptism of suffering. And they said, oh yeah, we're able to do it. And Jesus said, well, I'm not sure that I'm one who's able to give this to you. He said, but you are going to endure these things. Like in other words, you get the cost without the reward. Wrong question. When the 10 others, notice uh, in verse 41, when the 10 others heard James and John and what they asked, they were indignant. They were ticked. Why? They're like, what are these guys wanting to be above us? They were mad about it. See, the disciples were competitive. They postured themselves against one another. So Jesus called them together and he said, you know the rulers of this world lord, lord over the people. The officials flaunt their authority and those under them. He said, but among you, somebody say among you. It will be different. Among you, it'll be different. And look at what he said. Whoever, say it with me, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. That verse is where we get servant leadership from. He said, in the kingdom, if you want to be a leader, you have to be the lowest servant. But I don't want to serve. Then you won't lead. And you'll blame it on other people for not noticing you. They don't know it's my leadership position. Yeah, they don't notice your servanthood either. It's the servant that becomes the greatest leader. It actually is not the servant who becomes the greatest leader. It's the servant who is the greatest leader. Because serving, it's not just serving. It's being, embodying a servant. It's being a servant. Are you a servant? Am I a servant? That's what it's all about. He says, different among you, it will be different. Whoever is the leader must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be, notice, the slave of everyone else. The leader is the slave. Call me a slave. I ain't going to be no slave. Treat me like a slave. Yeah, someone says everyone wants to be a humble servant until they're treated like one. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. He said, even me, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Jesus, let me show you how he postured himself. Jesus postured himself. This is really what leadership is. He postured himself as a servant. Now, in, there was tradition that people would wear sandals. They would wear flip-flops and things. We used to say thongs, but I know you can't say thongs nowadays. That people wear thongs means something else. But they used to wear like flip-flops or wear sandals or the tie-on shoes or things. And they'd walk into the house. They'd be walking dirty roads and their feet would be rough. They didn't have the nice boots or things like that. And they'd walk in. The, when they'd walk in, the lowest slave, the lowest servant of the house would be the one who would come over and wash their feet before they walked into the house. It was the lowest position that you could possibly have as a servant. What, what do you have? I wash people's feet as they walk in. It wasn't something Jesus just made up. It was a position that they had. It was foot washer. And I don't think anyone applied for the position. Hey, can I be the foot washer? <laughs> Jesus on the very last night, the last supper, we call it, the very last night, before he was betrayed, the very last night, what did Jesus do? The Bible says that he stood there and he did this. He, 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 took, he took 
a bucket. Nate, you can come up and play. And he took a bucket. I got my bucket here. He took a bucket. I'm sure it wasn't as nice as this bucket. And uh, I, have, I have asked if uh, John Booker, my father-in-law, <laughs> and I asked Miara, if you both would walk up here, just give him some, some foot distance. Jesus walked up, and you know what he did? I believe he had to get this across to his disciples because he didn't want them walking in and building the foundations of the church on just power and pride. He wanted them to walk up and to know that ministry is about taking the lowest position. Ministry is about serving. And I asked... uh, John, I'm going to wash your feet first. (laughs) This is my father-in-law. I asked him for his daughter's hand in marriage, and he told me no. You did. (laughs) John, you just don't remember. You just don't remember. He did. He actually told me no. (laughs) And and, and then he he said, after about 30 seconds or a minute, he said, okay, maybe. (laughs) Or he said something like that. (laughs) He's He's a joker. But let me tell you, John, uh, I, uh, I honor you today. And, and the reason, and I'm glad you don't have high socks on. <laughs> so I'm not, gonna re- I'm not gonna reach up your pant leg too hard. <laughs> but I honor you today, John. Because I watched you, Jesus changed your life years ago. And you gave your life fully to him and you didn't come back. And you have all these brothers and sisters and you led them all to the Lord. You led your mom and dad to the Lord. You raised your three kids. You pastored church after church. Some of them, some people would say, was successful. Other times you might look at it. And you might say, it wasn't anything. What did I even do it for? But what did you do? You didn't quit and go to something else. And then I watched you trying to make ends meet and uh, start businesses and do construction and do stores and do all these things just to stay moving forward. (laughs) I watched during the 2010 Haiti earthquake you sold your business, you and Debbie. <laughs> you stepped down, you handed over the church in the digni- dig- with dignity. You went and served the people of Haiti. How lovely are your feet. How lovely are your feet. The Lord's so pleased with you. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for passing on a godly heritage. Miara, you're like my a daughter. You're my black daughter.
Huh? You have funny socks on. You have incredible Hulk socks on. That's a, that's a mama right there. That's a mama right there. Me, I watched you and Nate. I remember you came through internship, served the Lord, met this hunk over here, served the Lord behind the scenes, loving God, worshiping God, going, getting people water, cleaning things, doing things. I watched you continue to serve God. And uh, you met Nate, I remember the conversation that you came up to Tiffany one day and you said, who's that? (laughs) And you guys started dating. And Miara, you served the Lord all these days. I watched you turn down things, turn down opportunities. And I remember after that, you were leading worship at the church and God was using you in a big way. And as soon as we were leaving, the Lord put on our hearts to come talk to you and Nate. And it was in Long Beach, California. You lived just, I mean, a stone's throw away from the beach. And as we drove up, I thought, oh, they're going to say no. <laughs> but you prayed about it. And I watched you drop everything, drop your jobs. Nate, I'd wash your, two, your feet too. I don't have time. I'll do it later. <laughs> Drop your jobs. I watched you come out here and fight to make it and to get, get into a house and have both of your babies. We're about to dedicate one coming up this next week. You came out, moved, both of you moved away from family, which was convenient when you have babies. It's convenient. Moved away from family, both of you. And Miara, I honor you today. I honor your commitment to the Lord. Can I dry your feet too? <laughs> I'm not going to put back on those incredible Hulk socks, okay? Yeah. yeah. But I honor you today, Miara. I honor your commitment to the Lord. I said that just like you've surrendered your life to the Lord, I pray that God would multiply your sacrifice. And I pray that God would use you to pour into so many people, not only with worship, but to show servanthood and love. I honor you today. And today, uh, could you guys just stay there for a minute? I'm, I'm, I'm just about done, I promise. The fact that Jesus, our Lord, would put his hands on people's feet. These were feet that followed him for three years and he'd wash them. The Bible says when he came to Simon Peter, Simon looked at him and said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I must have had feet like my dad. But he said, he said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. Peter protested and said, no, you'll never wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. See, unless you allow others, listen to me, Unless you allow others to wash you. I asked Miara before, I said, do you think it takes more humility to wash someone's feet or to have your feet washed? Personally, I think it's more humility to get your feet washed. Unless you allow others to wash you, 
you won't be able to wash others. Unless you allow your leaders, your pastors to wash you, you won't be able to follow them. If you can't receive from them, you can't partner with them. I watched people over the years, been in church most of my life, all my life. And I've watched people over the years that are under pastors and under the leadership of leaders who they never trust. And they wonder why they don't receive from them. And they wonder why they're not connected with them. Because they never allowed that leader to wash them. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash you, you can't be in my ministry. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. And Peter said, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to wash you all over. He said, you can go take a shower or you can go take a bath. The person who's bathed doesn't need to be washed from head to toe. For Jesus knew who would betray him. You know what I thought's interesting? Jesus washed all 12 disciples' feet, feet, including Judas. Judas, he washed Judas' feet. Have you ever come up to somebody and you're like, I ain't washing their feet. Jesus washed Judas' feet. After washing the feet, he put on his robe again. And he said, do you understand what I'm doing? He said, you call me teacher and Lord. And that you are, and you're right, that's what I am. What is he saying? He's saying, washing your feet doesn't lower me in my position. I am your teacher and Lord. He said, my position and my calling really comes from God. Washing your feet. He said, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. If I'm your Lord and your teacher, he's saying, and I can wash your feet, then you should be able to serve one another. And I want you to listen to this. He said, I tell you, he's finishing up here. He says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger is more important than the one who sends them. You know, when I read that, that doesn't... At first, I'm thinking, I wouldn't, slaves are not important than their master. I think I would say, I would have thought he would say, masters are not important than their slaves. But he said, slaves are not important than, more important than their masters. What is he saying? I'm not doing this because I'm lower than you. Serving somebody doesn't make you lower than them. In position with God. But it does make you have the qualification to lead them. If you can't serve them, you can't lead them. He said, now that you know these things, God bless you for doing them. Let me finish with this. My journey um, and my struggles in life and ministry have been this. When I get my eyes on people and I get my eyes on leaders, and I get to see them up close. It's been my struggle. What they started wondering what they think about me. Do they see my worth? Do they see my value? Do they look down on me? Or do they overlook me altogether? Another struggle I've had is calling Jesus my Lord, the controller of my life, the one who calls the shots, and yet I act like I'm still in charge. that I've told Jesus, not only is he my savior, but he's my Lord, I'll do whatever you want. And then he tells me to do something and I pray about it. 
when I don't need to pray about it. I already know what he's telling me to do. Sometimes that's an excuse, thinking I'm in control. But here's what I've learned. I've learned if I can humble myself like Jesus and serve who and where he tells me that people won't ever be a problem to me. If I can keep my eyes on Jesus and just serve people, leaders, the church, won't ever be a problem to me because they're not the ones I'm serving. I'm serving the Lord. Everyone wants to be a humble servant until they're actually treated like one. We started with this verse, but he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he became a servant of man. Would you bow your heads with me right now? (laughs) Would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, in what areas do I need to be a servant? Holy Spirit, in what places have I tried to take the higher seat? Or I've been offended by someone. And it's really my own pride, my own arrogance, my own lack of not being just trauma being hurt but Father I forgive today for some may have dad wounds some may have church wounds some may have self inflicted wounds would you say Jesus heal me today Jesus heal me today Holy Spirit, what have you anointed me to do? Ask him that. He anointed Jesus to do good and to heal. Jesus, Holy Spirit, what have you anointed me to do? How can I serve others? Inside the house and outside on the streets, how can I serve others? I don't just serve, but I am a servant. really mean that this morning, would you say that? I am a servant. I don't just serve. I am a servant. Can I encourage you with one more thing? I believe with all of my heart that right now is the time to press in. Right now is the time to press in with believers. Right now is the time to press into the body of Christ, press into the Lord, press into the things of the Lord. This is high time. I mean, we're right on the cusp of something that the Lord's about to do. And I'm telling you what he keeps preaching to my heart is unity. Make sure the church is in unity. Make sure you're together. It's not just to get more hands. It's to get hearts. Make sure we're in unity. Because the number one thing the enemy will want to do is bring division. So Father, I pray, would you pray this with me? I pray that you'd make us one. Make us one. Make us one. Would you, in fact, would you just touch someone next to you in an appropriate place? (laughs) Would you just touch someone next to you and just say, Father, make us one. I pray for my brother and my sister right here next to me. I pray for my brother and my, my sister right here on my right and my left. Oh God, I pray, Lord, for their well-being. I pray that they draw closer to Jesus. I pray that they'd know Jesus more than ever before. Lord, I pray for them. 
that they would experience the calling of God on their life and they would walk according to the perfect plan of God for their life. Anoint them, cover them, protect them. Watch over them, I pray. In Jesus' name. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I promise he loves you so much. And if you don't let him wash you, (laughs) you can't be with him. And if I were to urge you of one thing, I don't care how long you've been coming to church or you've been around the church, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus as the Lord of your life, I urge you today to pray this with me. Would you say, Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. Jesus, I call you my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you today. Forever and ever. Thank you that I'm born again. A new creation in Christ Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to ask anyone to come up here or embarrass you at all, but I just want to know if there's anyone in here who when you prayed that prayer, you made a fresh commitment to the Lord. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're returning to Jesus today. It's going to count to three. One, two, I just want to see your hand. Three, is there anybody? Just slip up your hand. I want to see anybody in here. Made a fresh commitment to Jesus. Just slip it up. Anybody in here? It's the most important decision you could make in your life. Anybody in here? Thank you, Jesus. Anybody in here? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look up at me today before you're dismissed today. I want to tell you, if you made a fresh commitment to the Lord, would you sign up to be baptized? We baptize people every month. And uh, the Bible says repent and be baptized. It's a death of our old selves, a representation of that, and a coming up again. And uh, sign up to be baptized. If you're new to Memphis Tabernacle, welcome. We're so glad you're here today. And we want to just ask you, make sure to fill out a Connect card. Stay connected with us. Lock into the body of Christ. If you don't, you know, you're not sure about this church, find a church that can become your home and lock in. If you're not in a small group, get into a small group. If you need prayer, we have people who can pray for you right up here. And every Tuesday night, we have prayer where we come in and seek the Lord. And I want to invite you to that. But church, listen, for the next two weeks, I know on ongoing, but let's focus right now. For the next two weeks, let's press into God. And let's get what God has for us spiritually. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Father God, I pray for every person in here today. I thank you for the plan of God over their lives. I pray that that you would bless them. You'd keep them. Watch over them. Cover them today. Show them the love of Jesus and the love of a community loves them. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.